Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's my nerd world, and welcome to it. I'm your host, John Justice. We are two shows, two shows. Two shows away from the rise of Skywalker, and I'm geeking out. I'm just warning you, these next two weeks, they're going to be very geeky, very excited, John Justice, a lot of geeking out on the show. All right, uh, we're going to talk about the state of the leaks. We won't get into leaks specifically, but some really interesting things actually ended up taking place this week when it comes to the leaks, and so we will uh, dive into that. We'll uh, look at the character arcs from the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy and compare them to what I think is going to be happening in The Rise of Skywalker. I might have an answer to Kylo Ren and what in the heck is going on with his helmet. Guesses. This is not based off any previous knowledge. These are just guesses and theories on my part. We'll talk about the Mandalorian popularity. We'll get into listener feedback, as always. And then we'll get into a spoiler talk about the Mandalorian for our overseas friends of the show uh, and Episode 5 after listener feedback this week. The show is brought to you by the Blaster app, which is available for your iPhone. You can record audio and post it just like you would text in a tweet. Go to the App Store. Search for Blaster App, all one word, or you can go to theblasterapp.com. This is really a great way to post your instinctive initial reactions to things like news dropping or trailers. I've been doing that on the Blaster app. You can do it within the app, and then you can share it to Facebook and Twitter as well. And I like the fact that you can actually hear people's excitement and their tone and their voices, and you can do mini Blaster casts. It's fantastic for those that are producing podcasts as well to do previews and promote your podcast via the Blaster app. So go and pick it up for your iPhone. It's free, easy to set up, uh, no algorithms to mess with. There's no messing with the searches in the timeline. Nope, it's just... It's a, it's a completely straight-up app that you can use without any of the nonsense that you get from some of the other apps. And again, a great way to share your Star Wars fandom. Okay, and with that, uh, let's go ahead and get into My Nerd World, a Star Wars show for this week. Nothing will stand in our way. I find your lack of faith disturbing. I will finish what you started. Who are you? I'm no one. There are stories about what happened. It's true. All of it. The Force. It's calling to you. Just let it in. 
So I'm going to warn you right out of the gate. Uh, I am a 47-year-old Star Wars fan who is probably too excited for his own good for the for the rise of of Skywalker. Just before I started to record the show this week, I saw a brand new TV spot. I can't share it with you on the show because it was recorded off of somebody's phone from the TV. They haven't released it yet. Uh, but the clip showed Ray completing her flip wah, over Kylo Ren's tie whisper ship that we initially saw in the first teaser trailer it looks amazing so this is what we got on store for 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 this week and next week um i'm gonna try to keep the shows a little bit shorter they've been going longer than i'd like um i'm gonna dive into all the listener feedback so we'll spend the second half of the show for the most part getting into your comments uh, throughout the week from last week's show we'll get into some mandalorian episode five talk which was fantastic nostalgia fuel for my star wars soul was great. And then I'm basically going to kind of do a best of list of things that have come out for the Rise of Skywalker this past week because there's been a lot of information that's come out and way too much to cover in one particular show. So I basically compiled just a handful of things that were discussed this week, were released this week, and that's what I'll be talking about and navigating a couple of different topics uh, throughout the show today, based off of that information, I, I just I I can't I can't not express how just genuinely excited I am for this film coming up here in the next what like week and a half, right? I mean a little bit more than that, almost almost two weeks. And look, just as a as kind of a PSA for you, the the fan, and I can already see this happening across multiple podcasts and commentary around people but embrace this moment in time i wanted to pick the right words embrace this moment in time right now uh we're in the middle of the look you you do your fandom however you want to do it i'm just offering up my 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 suggestion uh, you're obviously an uber fan of star wars or you wouldn't be watching or listening to this podcast so i just want to encourage people to Really take the opportunity over the course of the, the next two weeks, you know, and I say this all the time, and I've been saying this all year long, but we are down to these last, you know, 10, 12, 13 days before the release of this movie, um, less than that before the premiere drops and we actually get some feedback about how this movie is going to be. However you celebrate your fandom of Star Wars, whatever you do that gets you excited that brings you joy when it comes to Star Wars, you know, for these final days, embrace it, man. We're not going to be here for a long, long time. We're just, we're, we're just not. I could potentially be uh, you know, almost close to 50 years old by the time we get a next theatrical release. And this is sort of monumental. I mean, look, saying it's sort of monumental is an understatement. It is monumental. This is the end of an era. This is the end of the Skywalker story. This is this is it, regardless of how this movie comes out. So this buildup and excitement, and this is the part of it that I love. This is the justification for my getting into leaks because I like diving into this stuff before. I don't want to miss out on any of this. I know we got friends of mine, Zach over at Knights of Vader of the Knights of Vader podcast has been sort of hitting me up to dodge 
leaks that have been coming out because he doesn't want to know anything. And I totally respect that. That's how he does it. He's so close to this movie coming out, he doesn't want to be spoiled. He wants to go in fresh. I don't care. I, I want to embrace all of it and 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 take it all in and discuss it. And I think a lot of these leaks, and this is what I'm going to start off the show with this week, have really been turned on their heads based off of some things that happened this week. But I just want to encourage you as a Star Wars fan, um, however you celebrate your Star Wars, man, embrace it this week and and cherish every hour leading up to this. Right, I'm doing my rewatch of the movies, and I was going to this weekend. It's The Force Awakens, and I'm so excited because we're to the we're 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 down to these last few movies before the release of The Rise of Skywalker. And I was gonna watch The Force Awakens last night, and I decided not to because I ended up getting a headache from out of nowhere. And I I'm like, you know what? I don't want to. No, I want to be. I want to be in good shape watching this. I've seen the movie, you know, who knows how many times, countless times. I haven't memorized. But I'm like, no, no, you know, I want to watch something else. I'm fighting a headache, and I really want to enjoy the experience. And so, thankfully, my uh, 13-year-old, as of next week, Kyle, uh, wanted to come down and watch some TV with me late. And uh, we ended up watching four episodes of Clone Wars, and that included the Night Sister trilogy, which is just fantastic. The Mandalorian has been a great way to go and just absorb new Star Wars while waiting for new Star Wars, right? Uh, so whatever you need to do to celebrate your fandom, I just want to encourage you to embrace it and and really enjoy these last these closing days before this movie comes out because it's going to be a really, really long time before we're going to be here discussing a new film and the potential of what it means. And even then, the conversation surrounding it isn't going to be the same because it's going to be new characters and it's going to be new mythology. And so it's going to only be after that film gets released that we're going to be able to really start doing deep dives into these movies and speculation because it's going to be a brand new series. And I just, I, I'm so excited and seeing this new spot right before the show dropped or before I started doing the show today just got me, whoa! Totally, totally excited. All right, so let's get into it. First off, let's take a few minutes and talk about what I mentioned with these with these leaks. So makingstarwars.net and Jason Ward, I've talked about them a lot on the show. Um, he's been putting out a lot of different videos talking about what he knows about the Rise of Skywalker. I've watched some of them. I've skipped some of them. Some of the details surrounding Finn and Jana. I'm like, you know what? Those things can wait. I, I want to see what the bigger the bigger reveals are and and see what he has to say about these. Like I said, I'm I'm fine with checking out leaks because I just I, I embrace it heading into this new movie, even though I know that part of my experience will be diminished a bit on that first viewing because I'll know what is going to happen to a certain extent. But be that as it may, this part of the fandom is still too much fun for me to go and um, not you know, to, to go and try to avoid those, those leaks. Cause I really do enjoy this, but he put out a story separate from the rise of Skywalker. And it was talking about Colin Trevorrow, who was the original director, did Jurassic world and, and fallen kingdom. And, um, he was supposed to direct obviously episode nine and that didn't happen. And Jason Ward put out what he had been told was the script that um, that Colin Trevorrow, along with another writer had penned and the big story beats from that script and how different it was going to be from The Rise of Skywalker. Well, within 24 hours of Jason putting that story out, Colin Trevorrow actually responded and said nothing of what Jason Ward had put out was in his script that he had penned, which I thought was really interesting. And I believe Colin Trevorrow. If you are Colin Trevorrow and it was 
what he was going to write, that was what was in his script, then you would just keep quiet. Because obviously Lucasfilm would also know that that's what was in the script. So if you were to go and push back against it, knowing that other people knew what was in the script, then you'd be a liar. So for Colin Trevorrow, I totally believe that him pushing back and saying none of what was released in this article was true is completely legit. Because if not, he could easily be caught in a lie. Now, Jason Ward followed up that pushback on the information he put out there and basically said that he was clarifying that the the details he was given from Colin Trevorrow's script was actually from a secondary script written by somebody else who was attached to Colin Trevorrow directing. Okay, that's as far as I went looking into it. Could be a very legit excuse. Jason Ward mentioned that a similar thing happened when he was discussing Rogue One and that he was talking about what was done with the script and it was actually a different writer that he was referring to even though he got that mixed up based off what his sources said. Okay, so all of this is to say that I throw a massive, massive question mark, as do a lot of people, with these major major leaks that have come out from Jason Ward, from Jedi Paxis on uh, Reddit, and uh, even from Bespin Bulletin to a certain extent. I'm sure that some of it is true, and some of it clearly has been shown to be true based off the footage that we've seen so far that aligns with these leaks. But I also am, am of the opinion that I think a lot of these leaks... While they are legit, the connective tissue between them has been extrapolated on to make it work. And so I really feel like there may be an outline of what's going to happen in this film based off of the leaks that match up with the released footage. But the meat, right, the grout between the tiles that hold this to, that holds this whole thing together is really what is going to be... A surprise to everybody when we go see the the movie because it's not going to align exactly with what the leaks said. So I'm still super excited going into The Rise of Skywalker knowing what I know because I am convinced that most likely there's going to be a lot of different changes that we weren't told of even though some of the bigger beats we were told ahead of time. Uh, Richard E. Grant this week came out and said that there was a big twist with one of the main characters of the film. And now I won't go down the road of what I think it could be. I think it could easily align with many of the things that we've been told via these leaks already. But at the same time, I also think there's a big possibility that this could be indication that there are some going to be some big surprises in this, in this film. So, Again, for a lot of you, and I know for those of you that have read the leaks and are worried about certain aspects of it, um, I would just say, hold on, don't lose all hope yet if it's not what you've read isn't aligning with what you want to see happen. I still think that there are plenty of secrets in this film that haven't been revealed. And even if it does turn out, and this is what I talked about last week, even if it does turn out that these leaks are somewhat legitimate, there's a lot of connective tissue and context that needs to be, you know, that needs to be given to make these things work. And I think there is a big, big possibility, again, as I said last week, that even if the leaks are true and it may not necessarily be what it is I exactly want, I trust the filmmakers are going to get us there to a place where that is totally going to work out and make sense and even be what's best for the story. And this is part of the this is part of my my train of thought going into the show this week and what I wanted to talk about because 
I hadn't really spent a lot of time sort of zeroing in on the comparisons, and it really is between the original trilogy and the and the, the sequel trilogy when it comes to our main characters. And you look at the sequel trilogy, you have your main protagonist, Ray, which is, you know, a bit of an analogy, you know, or, or comparison to Luke. And then you have your your Ben Solo, Kylo Ren, which is sort of, you know, analogous to Anakin Skywalker. But when you go and look at the original trilogy, I hadn't really thought about this fact that you've got Luke Skywalker as your main character, but really for as little as Darth Vader is in A New Hope, he is in the rest of the trilogy, it is as much his story as well. <clears throat> and I think a lot of people get lost, and I know I did too, on the arc of Kylo Ren and Ben Solo when it comes to the sequel trilogy, because there was such a hyper-focus on Rey in the beginning, and, you know, at the start, while many individuals, and mostly the Raylos, really picked up on how important Kylo Ren's character was, <clears throat> especially in A New Hope, I certainly didn't right out of the gate. It wasn't until The Last Jedi that I kind of hopped on board the Raylo bandwagon and began to understand that we really are talking about a film that has two dual protagonists. And when you bring Palpatine into the mix, it really does go and parallel the other trilogies much better than if you hadn't brought Palpatine back into the mix, Darth Sidious, because he's always been there in the background. It really does set up a scenario where you have your Luke and your Vader characters that are very much, in terms of their story arcs needing to be solved, um, are now much closer to the story beats of what we had before with the inclusion of Palpatine. And I really, really dig that. And I think it speaks volumes to the arc of what Kylo Ren is going through and what Ben Solo was going through. And this idea that it really is two dual, it really is dual protagonists. Almost to the point where Ray's character and Kylo Ren's character are equally important to the story. And I know, I'm sure I'm going to get emails from some of you going, well, yeah, well, duh, John. Sure, it's always been in the back of my mind. But in sort of going down that path and thinking about that further, did that idea sort of fully emerge in my head going, wow, I really do think that they had this idea from the get-go even if the in-between details were left up to these individual directors, it makes a lot more sense now, and it makes all the sense in the world to have Palpatine included at the end since he's been there from the beginning. And that's a big aspect of what has me really excited for this film, because I'm trusting that what J.J. Abrams has been saying all along, that this is the culmination of the nine movies, that it will wrap up what some one of the actors said 20... Oh, no, it was Chris Terrio, who's been making some amazing statements out in public, said that this film is going to wrap up like 24 different storylines. In one of the shots of one of the TV spots, you can see a U-wing. And it's really cool because it's a U-wing that's got its that's got its um from Rogue One, and it's got its its wings swept back into the battle position. And for you know vehicle geeks like me, that means a lot. But that has me really excited 
that we're actually going to see some of those much older vehicles from the prequels and the original trilogy that we haven't seen in the sequel trilogy yet. I mean, that U-Wing goes back to Rogue One prior to A New Hope, for crying out loud. And we're getting one... I mean, if we're getting one of those in The Rise of Skywalker, then that really does sort of lend credibility to us getting some TIE Fighters, old-school TIE Fighters, and old-school X-Wings. And we know we're also getting a Y-Wing as well. But all of these things have me excited for the story beat potential that we could have in the rise of Skywalker that is similar to what we saw in the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy and bringing all those elements in. And like I said, I'm really geeking out right now. So the next two weeks worth of shows is really going to be sort of this more of stream of thought than organization and just deal with it. Cause this is how I get my fan. This is how I celebrate my fandom. But JJ Abrams said that his favorite scene from from the prequels was the Squid Lake scene from Revenge of the Sith, the conversation between Anakin Skywalker and and Palpatine. And you combine that with a lot of comments being made by Chris Terrio, and it really does get me um, thrilled at the idea that, wow, they may go there. They may really mess with this stuff. And this is the kind of stuff that's really been missing and lacking context when it comes to those leaks, is those types of connections. I love the idea and the potential that J.J. Abrams could very well play with that incredibly important scene from Revenge of the Sith. A scene that George Lucas in the commentary even mentioned that he had a hard time with because it was a longer dialogue scene than he was used to that he was used to filming and was a little afraid at how long it was, but how important it was in telling the story of Darth Plagueis. So that aspect of it, along with the other evidence that we've seen, that this really is going to wrap up this nine-movie arc, and we're going to have story beats and elements from these films all jammed into this epic movie that, like I said last week, can 100% pull out all the stops. It can be the biggest Star Wars movie ever and should be which is something that other Star Wars movies in the Disney era era haven't really been able to do because you don't want to diminish the other films that came before it. And I can only imagine that during the creative process, like, well, we can have a space battle over Starkiller Base, but we should really, you know, make sure that we craft this appropriately so that it doesn't completely outshadow what we've seen before. But with The Rise of Skywalker, man, you can go all in. And by all the footage that we've seen, it looks like they are going all in. Writer Chris Terrio, he said, it's about being a fan first and loving Star Wars. It's where he gains his inspiration. And it's when he goes back to when he's looking at the center of the story. He said this, it's redemption. The idea of redemption is super important to Star Wars he said in this article from Variety. The idea is that there is such, there is such a thing as light. Even in the darkest times, the idea of defiance always would get me when I would think about Leia standing up to Vader in that first scene, or like she's about four foot eleven standing up against an almost literal grim reaper and telling off Vader in the first scene. So there's a sense of defiance against tyranny that we could always go back to in our hearts and minds. I'm so glad that J.J. Abrams brought Chris Terrio on board because based off of so many different comments that he's made, um, I 
I am more than pleased with the fact that JJ brought him on. He's way into the mythology. He made comments about having Pablo Hidalgo from the story group on speed dial when crafting the story for the rise of Skywalker. I mean, they were doing deep dives into the ancillary material. Now, this certainly doesn't mean that we're going to be getting all these amazing references to Clone Wars and Rebels and all that, but it does indicate that perhaps there is some lore that they decided to pull from, specifically when you look at things like the Mortis arc from the Clone Wars. And I don't think that you're going to have this long dissertation or dialogue scene talking about the father, the son, and the daughter and how they make up the trinity and the dark side and the light and the balance and all that. No, but you could include elements like that dagger and the dagger that was in the Mortis arc if they decide to do it and have it be attached to that without having to get into it fully. I think that something very similar is happening in The Mandalorian. I'll talk about that when we get past listener feedback. But I think there is a bit of pulling from previous content that will really be amazing for hardcore fans and still cool for the general audience. And I'm expecting now that perhaps we're going to get quite a bit of that, where we're going to see some themes and some you know, some through lines and threads that hardcore fans like you and me that have watched all the ancillary material will immediately get, but will just be part of the story for the average audience. All right, moving forward, um, let's go here. io9 put out an article talking about the future of Star Wars. Uh, Michelle Rejwan, uh, Kathleen Kennedy, and there were some interesting quotes, and I pulled this right from Reddit and the article that I wanted to share with you from this io9 uh, piece. But a lot of this comes down to how they crafted the sequel trilogy and whether or not there actually was a grand design for the film. Um, and this is what it says in here, and I'm going to kind of skip around. Uh, eight of us were usually sitting in a room and with a whiteboard, and the possibilities are looking at what the possibilities are, looking at character arts, right? They said when they sat down into The Force Awakens, they spent a great deal of time working out all three movies and doing a real deep dive on the previous six and talking about that, understanding the mythology of George Lucas. It goes on to say from Kathleen Kennedy, but the important thing is I like to look at the first three movies that George did where he had different directors where he was really serving as the producing role and we were doing a kind of similar thing which is identifying genre and allowing a filmmaker and in this and in the case of JJ and Ryan huge Star Wars fans and allowing them to get immersed to find the center of a story and then make it their own it's obviously important as George always said, to have a meaning in these stories. And as a director, I think every director should have something to say and what it is they're trying to do, and they need to find out what's personal for them. In addition to something like Star Wars, which has this incredible fan base that cares so deeply that wants to believe that we are immersed in that process as they are, as immersed in that process as they are, and we're looking at the nuances and the importance of mythology as they are, and I can tell you that is absolutely, that's what goes on. It's endless conversations along those lines. Moving forward, she talks a bit about Colin Trevorrow. Colin was, a huge, was at a huge disadvantage not having been part of The Force Awakens and in part of those early conversations because we had a general sense of where the story was going. And like any development process, it was only in 
the development that we were looking at the first draft and realizing that it was perhaps heading in a direction that many of us didn't feel was quite where we wanted to go. And we were on schedule. And as we often are these things uh, with these movies and had to make a tough decision as to whether or not we thought we could get there in time or not. And as I said, Colin was at a disadvantage because he hadn't been immersed in everything that we all had been starting out with episode seven on the working relation uh, in episode seven. All right. So talking about the working relationship with JJ, uh, if we started to head down a path and then we would read some pages and we would talk to one another. And if we didn't have some real sense of a point of view, a strong, solid point of view, then we would push JJ. I'm sure he would say that we all pushed him a lot and we weren't afraid. Yeah, we weren't afraid to say, no, I don't see it. Here's where I have a problem. This isn't quite landing. We were all just very honest with one another uh, because we recognized how important it was. And we did that equally with Pablo Hidalgo and Dave Filoni as well. Uh, the, the, the writer says, it's a really nuanced interview. I appreciate their answers on this. And this quote they, that they, they wrote down, though, does concern me. I think, knock on wood, that the fans are going to feel that if they're going to feel listened to, I think it's always been an important thing to Lucasfilm is the fans are every bit as important to us of what any of us do. And I hope they feel that way with us. They seem to all feel that way about the Mandalorian. Um, so I wanted to I wanted to stop here uh, real quick and and talk a bit about that particular uh, quote about listening to the fans. That's such a difficult road, and I'm not exactly sure what um, Kathleen Kennedy means uh, by that, but I trust that Disney, I trust that Lucasfilm is aware enough to work through commentary that's out on Twitter and Facebook and how that's not exactly reflective of the majority of the fan base. And I think they know that, and I think they understand that. And it just isn't. And I've mentioned this before. You listening, me producing this podcast along with all the other podcasters that are out there, we're not the majority of the Star Wars fans. If we all went away tomorrow, Star Wars may not last as long because you wouldn't have a lot of these hardcore fans talking about it, but you still would have a massive general audience out there going and giving films to this, to giving money to this franchise and enough money to keep it going and alive. So when Kathleen Kennedy says she listens to the fans, I have to believe that, no, they're not listening to the really hardcore fans like you and me or the hardcore fans that are part of the ridiculous fandom menace. I think this is more along the lines of understanding the frequency of output of, of Star Wars and maybe some larger story beats, perhaps, that they have seen. Or the, for a lot of people, the inclusion of diversity within the films. I think that's more along the lines of what she, what she means. It's tough with these quotes, and this was certainly the case when Kathleen Kennedy made the quote about how they didn't have any movies to, or didn't have any books or material to, to build off of, and everybody ran with sort of, you know, criticizing Kathleen Kennedy for making that comment, you know, acting as if she was diminishing legends, when in my mind she's really talking about source material like Lord of the Rings or like Harry Potter, where you don't have books to just go and base the, the movies off of. All right, uh, shifting gears. Let's go here. A uh, journalist at The New Yorker tweeted out that Adam Driver told him about how J.J. laid out Kylo Ren's three-film arc to him prior to signing on to TFA. 
He said, it's a character thing. It's not said. It's an arc that I've been basing all my choices on. For me, it was the key into him, the character. All of this comes back down to that redemption part of it. I don't think there's any doubt that that Kylo Ren is going to turn at some point to the light side and be Ben Solo in this film. Like the big question mark is what's the resolution going to be of the character? A lot of people are reading into these statements and these actors and these directors and the writers are very good at providing just enough for you and I to speculate on without giving you the answer that you seek because you're going to have to wait for the movie for that. The Force cast tweeted out that they were listening to the audio of the roundtable with Chris Terrio and Michelle Rejuan that'll be out next week. And Chris Terrio called Ben Solo the Prince of Alderaan. For reference, the question was about how they approached writing Kylo as he is a Skywalker. Terrio responded saying they took every aspect of Ren when writing him and that's when he mentioned the Prince label. From the beginning... Adam Driver has stated that, and this is in the documentary for The Force Awakens, he's like, you know, when it comes to certain villains, the really good villains, they don't think they're doing anything wrong. He makes a comment that, you know, I think a lot of people think of the mustache twirly villains. He, <laughs> I'm so evil. Man, it's more along Palpatine, more along the lines of Palpatine for the, to a certain extent. But Kylo Ren from the get-go has always been conflicted and influenced and dealing with a push and a pull from the light and the dark side. I mean, he says that to Vader's helmet for crying out loud, right? You know, I feel it again, the pull to the light. Adam Driver this week made a comment when somebody asked him about redemption, and he says, well, I don't think that Kylo Ren thinks he needs to be redeemed. And everyone was like, oh my gosh, Adam Driver said he doesn't need to be redeemed. No, what he meant was Kylo Ren, the character, the person, the bad guy on the dark side, in his mind, he doesn't need to be redeemed. He hasn't necessarily done anything wrong. He's been doing what he what he thinks is right. And I think what's going to happen in The Rise of Skywalker is he's going to come to the conclusion and realize, no, he has been wrong all along. He's been doing what's wrong, and he really needs to, to go to the light. All right, moving for, uh, f- uh, forward through some of the items that I've just pulled throughout all the news that's come out uh, this, um, this particular week. Um, Kylo Ren, uh, actor Adam Driver, Uh, said The Rise of Skywalker in one of the interviews this week is the perfect title for the ninth and final episode in the Star Wars Skywalker saga. Um, And, you know, J.J. Abrams has said that as well. At the end of this movie, we're all going to know why it's called The Rise of Skywalker. And there's obviously a couple different options they can go down. We've speculated to the nth degree about that, but this is further confirmation that this being the rise of Skywalker is going to make sense in some in some very specific way. Um, at the global press conference, uh, Daisy Ridley made this comment. So I was one of the few that was like, well, I get why you'd want to know who your parents are. But I also was always interested in the relationships Ray was making for herself as an adult. But yeah, it's always been curious, curious to me. I don't know. So I brought this up because a lot of people jumped on on this um, and, and sort of discussed. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Assessing the significance as it relates to her parentage and whether or not it's a big deal or not a big deal. And I know a lot of the rumors that are out there and the speculation of what that attachment to or who her parents are and who they're attached to. And I'm totally fine with that. And I don't want to get into it right now because I want to steer away from spoilers, especially in these closing days. But it's kind of attached to and in the background of the little commentary that I did at the start of the show in talking about the arcs of the characters, families. And the one thing I didn't mention, but I'll mention it here in context with Daisy Ridley's quote. And that is, you know, like with Luke Skywalker. Nobody ever thought that Luke Skywalker was bad because he was attached to Vader, even though Vader was the ultimate bad guy. So if, for the sake of speculation, that Ray has an attachment to somebody who might be bad, I actually think that parallels quite nicely with what happened to Luke Skywalker in the original trilogy, even though... That character and those characters from the original trilogy were the main, you know, sort of antagonist protagonists, whereas this is not a situation where Rey is related to or potentially related to Kylo, who is sort of the representation of Vader. So there's a change there. But more specifically, if she happens to have some connection to somebody in the past and in the Star Wars universe that isn't good, it doesn't necessarily automatically mean that Rey's now bad. It's quite the opposite. It's very much along the same lines of what they did with Luke and Vader in the um, in the original trilogy. To Daisy not caring about who her parents are, saying, you know, I know, you know, people would care, but I was more focused as a as an actress on who Ray was, you know, dealing with. It makes sense when you consider she's not she's not a, she wasn't raised on Star Wars, right? For somebody as young as Daisy Ridley who didn't grow up on the trilogy and all these things matter mattering and of being of significance and Vader, you know, to telling Luke that he's his father. You know, those were huge, big things for us as kids and the stuff of nostalgia. But if you didn't grow up on that, then the parentage angle and the obsessing over storylines and character relationship within the Star Wars universe isn't nearly as important to you because you're an actress portraying this character that didn't ever venture into that world, even though you now are that world all right um we're moving into uh to helmet talk here right and then uh we'll get into some some listener feedback and some mando talk after oh we'll talk a little mandalorian's popularity here in just a moment but i did want to mention this because there was a quote from adam driver or an article with adam driver talking about kylo's helmet and i guess this quote is from jj and jj said this part of it his helmet is about his commitment to the dark side kylo ren's As you'll see, he's becoming supreme leader. His focus has been a little bit more on practical terms. He's assumed that position within the First Order. It represents his recommitting to the dark side, to the Knights of Ren. And then, because of a very specific thing that he's about to go do, as you see in the story, there's a reason for it. It might not be clear at this moment. All right, so... I'll leave out my specific speculation on what I think happens at the beginning of the film, specifically what Kylo Ren's mission at the start of the movie is. So I'm going to dance around that 
But I do want to get into what I think now has happened with the helmet and why there's been so much confusion within the marketing over when he's wearing it and when he isn't wearing it. Let me say up front, I think Kylo Ren has the helmet on when he's flying the TIE Whisper in um, on Pasana. When we get the, the leap from Rey... From the teaser trilogy and now this new television spot where we see her complete that move. Okay. We see his hands from that original teaser trailer, right? Piloting the ship, but we don't see his helmet. I think his helmet's on, and this is the reason why. At the start of this film, based off of what J.J. Abrams said, um, my guess is we're going to be introduced to the big bad at the beginning of this movie. They've said all along, the cast has said all along, and this goes back to Celebration, that when when we first heard the cackle from Palpatine, um, that that character, the Palpatine, was going to be a big part of this movie. Um, and that he's going to be there, you know, in the background through the whole thing. I think the film starts off with, with Kylo Ren and some confrontation, conversation with Darth Sidious at the beginning of the movie. And that sets him on his path. That's what I think happens. He gets orders to do something from Palpatine. He's becoming the supreme leader. It's been a year later. And with him getting that order from Palpatine, that's when he reconnects with the Knights of Ren, who actually have their own ship, by the way. The new Entertainment Weekly came out. I haven't got my hands on it yet. I just saw a screen grab. But the Knights of Ren have their own really cool, dark-looking ship. I'm super excited about that. But I think at the beginning of the film, he, he, he has to go and complete something. He has to go and do something. He reconnects with the Knights of Ren. And they reforge the helmet in order for him to renew his commitment to the dark side. So the helmet, in my view, with the first half of the movie, is going to be very representative of Kylo Ren in that moment, trying to continue on the path that he's on. And as we progress into the film, my guess is the as he has his confrontations with Rey the light side slowly starts to consume him and starts pulling him towards the light. While at the same time, Ray is having to deal with her own dark side machinations. And this is where that balance comes into play. And I mentioned this before, but this helmet theory to me really does ring true to sort of add some credibility to this line of thinking, especially when you look at the spots and the, the shot that we've seen and some of the extended shots that we've seen of Ray and Kylo Ren in his white chambers on board a ship with the, um, with the burnt Vader helmet on the pedestal. He's still wearing the helmet at the time. They destroy the pedestal. The helmet goes falling. There's something going on in that scene with Kylo Ren reaching up to his helmet. So, I believe that the helmet is representative of where Kylo Ren is with the dark side and that slowly throughout the film he begins to strip those layers off in leading to his eventual redemption and returning to the light from from the last time he was there as a kid by the end of the film. And that the removal of the helmet at some point in the midway point of the movie when he potentially makes his revelation is going to be incredibly symbolic of that. I also think there might actually be something directly tied to Vader's helmet because of the way that that helmet pulsed with the the red glue, the red Sith glue of his, of his mask pulsed in the toy version of it. And that's just pure speculation. I don't have any evidence of that. I don't, and, and to be clear, I don't have any evidence of any of the other stuff that I just threw out there right now as well. 
Um, some beat stuff I do, but the most of that is just sort of me shooting from the hip of what I think happens in the movie based off the footage that we've seen so far. So with that, what do you think? Talkshownerd at gmail.com, of course. Leave a comment on uh, on YouTube as well. Um, really looking forward to, as I always do, to your feedback throughout you know, the next you know, the next two weeks as we lead into the uh, to the movie. All right, one more quick uh, thing to talk about, and then we're going to dive into uh, listener uh, feedback this week. We are the spark that'll light the fire that'll burn the first order down. I just want to talk a little bit of Mandalorian, not get into spoilers right now, but about the popularity of the of the show. Mandalorian is fantastic. I really do love it. It's very different Star Wars. It's resonating with a lot of people because of the formatting, uh, because of the ease at which they can go and watch it. We're also watching a story that is way more reminiscent of the original Star Wars movie, especially A New Hope, when you consider that it's very singular in scope. We're just following around this one particular character on his adventure. And it serves this story very well, where we're not getting a lot of, in the meantime, off on planet, blah, 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 blah. No, we're not, we're not getting any of that, because we're just following the Mandalorian. And I think that makes for the episodes to move at a fast pace, even when there's not a lot of action going on. But these shows just fly by for me. And I really do think it's incredibly special and unique from the storytelling perspective of Star Wars because we haven't had this kind of Star Wars storytelling in a long, long time, not since that first movie. There's a lot of really heavy nods to the original trilogy, and we'll get into this. And I'm totally fine with it. I'm here for it. I know some other people aren't. I know Zach over at... Uh, Knights of Vader, my buddy, he, uh, he's got issues when it comes to some of the sort of more direct connections to sound effects and things like that. I'm cool with it. I know why they're doing it. And to me, it's Jon Favreau writing these stories and these directors, making sure they feed the more casual fans. They don't have all this stuff memorized that may sound familiar, but they don't realize just how familiar it is that it's almost exactly the same sounds from the other films. It just... It just it's just enough for them to kind of go, oh, that sounds familiar and like Star Wars. But for us hardcore fans, we know that, no, that's actually directly lifted from the original trilogy. Um, but be that as it may, it also stresses to me the importance of having these large saga films on the big screen. Because The Mandalorian is great, but I don't just want that for my Star Wars. It's going to be fantastic in the absence of having any new, any new films for the next few years. Certainly going into next year when we get Season 2 of The Mandalorian, the connections that could possibly be made in Season 1 heading into The Rise of Skywalker. Um, I think it's going to speak volumes that this show is the most streamed show on the planet and that everybody seems to, across the board, really love the Mandalorian, and everybody has latched onto, rightfully so, Chiloda. Baby Yoda is amazing. I could just watch that little dude walk around all over the place. But I really do hope that Disney doesn't take their priority off of those big saga films, because for as much as I love these live-action TV shows, and we're obviously going to be getting a lot more based off of how successful The Mandalorian has been, this fan wants that big screen experience, wants that big, expansive, epic story, regardless of what setting it's put into. And so I really hope that Disney sticks to what their plan of what they want to do, but they do figure out a way to pump out the movies in the theaters on a more consistent basis so we don't have to wait three years between every single one. I really do hope that that's not going to be the case just because The Mandalorian has been so popular. 
But it is pretty great to be a fan right now, waiting for this new movie and to have the fandom really brought together by The Mandalorian. And hopefully that results in, you know, even better box office return for The uh, for the Rise of Skywalker. Not that it's going to need it, man. Those trailers and the footage that we've seen so far, this movie just looks absolutely incredible. All right, let's go ahead and get into your listener feedback for this week. I need someone to show me my place in all this. All right, we'll start off with a friend of the show, Cortex Zero. Says simply, long time no talk, John. Happy holidays. (laughs) Thank you, Cortex. I appreciate you riding in that you're still listening. Rome Ed writes this. J.J. Abrams has said recently that some people will love Rise of Skywalker and some people will hate it. I'm paraphrasing. Do you think Rise is going to be another Last Jedi situation where the fans will get divided again? Personally, I love The Last Jedi. I watched it 22 times. Um, I don't know if that's going to be the case. I don't think it's going to be because I think that for a large portion of the fandom that didn't like The Last Jedi, I think there is going to be a a given reaction, default reaction from those fans saying, see, the, uh, the, the Rise of Skywalker was fantastic, and that's why The Last Jedi sucked. On top of that, I just don't think there's any way to avoid divided fandoms anymore with social networking platforms that we have. These conversations that we used to have growing up when it, when it came to even the prequel trilogies, for those that didn't like them, they stayed within the walls of where the words were spoken. They didn't really go much further than that unless you went looking for articles. You can't escape it now. And people, you know, for good or bad, have decided that to not think before they go and write a lot of stuff. And that's contributed to a lot of the negativity. So I kind of think, unfortunately, it's somewhat unavoidable. All right, uh, let's see. Jay Sithlord writes this. I have a theory, John, on how Emperor Palpatine could have survived in Return of the Jedi. What if Palpatine did the exact same thing that Leia did in The Last Jedi when the First Order attacks a Resistance command ship? This sets the precedent and removes some, if not all, of the disbelief of what Force users are capable of. Of course, the way Palpatine survived the second Death Star could have been a completely different way, and through some other Force power we haven't seen yet, as each episode has shown us a new Force ability. It's very true. Your Star Wars podcast is the best and the only Star Wars podcast I subscribe to. May the Force be with you. It is, just based off that comment. Thank you. Um, I've honestly moved past caring why Palpatine's back. (laughs) I really have. I'm sure they'll give us some explanation. I'm not expecting anything incredibly detailed, and I'm totally fine with it. These are fantasy stories, man, and I just love them for what they are. All right, Nat Fantasy writes this. Whatever happens in this movie, I will accept it because it's their story to tell. Like I've mentioned before, you look at this, you look at this movies, you look at these movies as historical documents. That's just what happened. I'm sure whatever Ben's ending arc will be, it will be amazing and will do the character justice. My personal preference, I will always be in the Ben Solo Lives camp because I love the character so friggin' much and I just want a GD Skywalker to be happy in this trilogy. Amen to that. 
Whatever happens, though, I'm so glad we've had the sequel trilogy. Me too. Adam has done a fantastic job in his portrayal of Kylo Ren, Ben Solo, and I cannot wait to see him again in The Rise of Skywalker. He's the shining star of this trilogy. Great work, John. Thank you. I can't wait to hear your review of the movie when it comes out. Sending you Star Wars positivity all the way from the UK. May the Force be with you. Thank you so much, man. You guys are the best. You really are. Purple Flower writes this. I'm trying to keep an open mind, but I really hope Ben lives. I just feel that if he died, it would be a repeat of Anakin's story. If that's the case, then what was the point of the sequel trilogy? I do think that Ben should be exiled. This is just wishful thinking, but maybe that's why Ben's ship was burned in what looked to be on Octo in the promo. Maybe Ray was making sure Ben doesn't have a way out once he's exiled. Yeah, uh, that's the thing about when it comes to the leaks, just really quick. Boy, you could, if you didn't have any of the connective tissue of what's been written by the leaking individuals, and you decided to start crafting the story based off the trailers alone, you'd be crafting a much different story. Just want to point that out. My, I'm sorry. I want to point that out, but let me be more specific. Meaning, anybody could have crafted a story around the footage if they got the footage of the trailers beforehand. That's my point. So just because the leaks match the trailers doesn't mean that the leaks are true beyond what matches the with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The trailers. Because, like I said, if you just got, if you were, if you and I were handed all of the six minutes full of the footage of the film and decided to write a story based off the footage, you could easily do that. And it could be the story that's been presented by the leakers, or it could be something completely different. All right. Friend of the show, Ben Fisher, writes this. Writing a little bit as a fanboy tonight, I read both of the Embark novels last week while deer hunting in Wisconsin. Thank you very much. The first book was a little slow, understandably, since you were trying to lay out the groundwork, a background, types of ships, etc. The second book went really quick, finished in one deer sitting in one sitting in the deer stand. Thank you so much, Ben, and I'm really I'm really glad that you Took the time to read them both. Um, I know that's the biggest complaint on the first book, and he's 100% right. The first book in my Embark series really did have to go and lay the groundwork, and, and that's why it gets a little detailed in the beginning. I was excited to be writing, and I really injected a lot of stuff that I love. I think for some people, it's great. I think for other people, it's too much exposition. With the second book, Treasure in Darkness, I definitely zeroed in on the story and wanted that, sto that story to just hum from the get-go. And thankfully, the, the word from everybody so far is that worked. Um, I'm really excited to say that I'm finishing the third book this weekend, the first draft, and then it'll go into editing and the work on the cover art gets started on, on Monday. But the third book, I really think people are going to be most excited for and are going to love it the most because... It takes what I did with the first one and definitely the pacing of the second one and does it and does a third story that's longer, 
larger in scope than the middles chapter was, but still moves at the fast pace. Ben goes on to say, overall, thought the books were good. Thank you. At times, I thought you did the easy thing. Yep. But at other times, I was surprised you didn't allow for the heroes to have a few more victories, especially in the second book. That was the I think it would have been easy to allow the team to do one particular thing. I don't want to go and spoil anything for anybody. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and I did that intentionally. I'm looking forward to the third book to see how you end the trilogy. Thank you. Now they went on to talk about Star Wars. You can get my books on Amazon, by the way. Search for John, J-O-N, Justice, and Embark. They're fun. Um, I watched A New Hope tonight. Not really planned, just out of the blue. I was born in 81, so I can't really say I grew up on Star Wars. You kind of can. I think my first viewing of it was when it was on cable. T- uh, T- uh, TNT, TBS, or Sci-Fi Channel would run their marathon weekends. In watching it, uh, I could only think that in 20 days, the saga comes to an end. Obviously, Star Wars is more than just Luke, Leia, Han, Kylo, Rey, etc. But these are the stories that most of us know. The new canon has introduced some new characters, but none of them... Uh, have we seen on the big screen? A part of me wishes uh, what the plan uh, that I knew what the plan was, something to get excited for about the future of Star Wars besides the Mandalorian. I look forward of, uh, to what is to come. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to avoid this next part because it's a little bit spoilery. Um, and we'll just say this. Lastly, how many episodes are you planning before the rise of Skywalker? You're going to do an episode right after watching the movie. Thanks and keep up the good work. Uh, thank you, Ben. And then again, thank you for the support on the books. So the plan is for the podcast. Um, I've got family come. I got my dad coming into town that Wednesday before the movie debuts. I'm seeing the show, the movie on Thursday night and then again on uh, Friday and then on Saturday. So Thursday night after it debuts. I b- will be putting up a quick, spoiler-free, instinctive reaction to the film. I'll probably do that on the Blaster app uh, and then take that audio and post it to the podcast. Sometime on Friday, I will be recording a full show um, filled with spoilers that will probably come out that Saturday. So this show this weekend, another show next weekend, and then expect a series of different audio uh, postings, podcasts of, ver- of varying lengths to be posted on the week of release. There'll probably be a podcast somewhere in there, even though it won't be a full one and not a video one, sometime around when the premiere is just to talk a bit about people's reactions at the premiere of the film. All right, friend of the show, uh, Miranda, writes this. The next couple of, by the way, I love that name. I've ever mentioned that before. Mir- Miranda's a just really... I like, I guess, the, the, the M names, Miranda, Melinda. I just dig those. Uh, the next couple of weeks are going to be one of the most challenging weeks to, to try to not watch too many videos or interviews, right? Um, it's going to be torture up until opening night. It's like getting ready for a big family event. We're just days away. There's last-minute things to take care of, and everyone's driving each other crazy. Lovingly, that is. Other than that, I cannot believe how close we are right now. It is just, uh, too, it's, it's just crazy to me. It's so weird. It's even more weird than four years ago when I said goodbye to another franchise, The Hunger Games. I don't know how many um, Hunger Games fans uh, there are, but ironically, right around the corner, we had The Force Awakens. Star Wars wasn't even 
um, on my mind half the time, but I know everybody and their 50 friends were talking about it. And when I eventually went on Friday the 18th at 10 a.m. in the morning back in 2015, it completely blew my mind. I was not expecting it to do anything for me. And I guess the rest is history. If we're being honest here, I think the months and months of anticipation and speculation and making our own fun out of all of it whilst we wait for the opening night of The Rise of Skywalker actually has made this even more exciting. And I have a feeling that as soon as 2020 approaches or even before, it's going to give us a lot to reflect on. And I think we'll spend just as much time with that as we've been while we're waiting for the film. Oh my goodness, it's going to be so funny. Oh, let's see, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead here. No more leaks, no more rumors, no more waiting. It's going to be glorious and also some reactions from some of our best friends in the whole world that never fail to be the gift that keeps on giving. Oh my goodness, this is going to be so funny. And what will be the funniest of all of this, um, uh, of all, is when this flop becomes a big box office hit no matter what. Buckle up, everyone. Embrace yourselves. Okay? I need coffee. <laughs> Thank you, Miranda, as always, for the comments. All right. Sarah Atkinson writes this. I'm thinking that most likely any connection between The Mandalorian and the sequel trilogy will be The Rise of Snoke. Yeah, I kind of hope so, too. Little is known about him, yet during this time, he will have been rising in power and beginning the First Order. I believe it would be an interesting reveal eventually of a character, of a, of a real character, being Snoke before whatever made him old and decrepit in The Force Awakens, or how the character reactions to the First Order, or how the characters react to the First Order when it shows up. They already had him almost laugh at the idea of reporting a group of Empire sympathizers to the New Republic, kind of implies it wasn't that effective. Again, I'll get into a little bit more of... Um, of that uh, rise of uh, of that uh, Mandalorian talk here in uh, in just a moment. All right, uh, let's go to Chris Alivo. I'm hyped for the rise of Skywalker, except the return of Palpatine. Maybe you can convince, uh, but I've racked my brain a zillion times on how he can come back. That doesn't diminish Return of the Jedi. I'm open to any ways to look at it. Um, I think I said a lot about that already. Uh, when you, for me, this is nine movies. So, for me, you can go and change the meaning of something that happened in Return of the Jedi. You can do that. Because this is the ending of nine movies. And so, that makes the end of Return of the Jedi potentially not as important. And that's okay, in my opinion. So, that's kind of where my headcanon is on it. And I don't want to repeat a bunch of stuff I said earlier about Palpatine's return. But that's how I look at it is... This movie is wrapping up this entire Skywalker arc, and so it could fundamentally change some things that we've done in the past, and it's allowed to do that for me. All right, um, R. Duraith writes this. Um, Ray is definitely key to, bring, uh, to uh, bringing Ben back. The first words of TFA were, this will begin to make things right. What begins to make it right? Kicking off a chain of events that bring, that bring Ray into Ben's sphere. All right. Uh, let's see. One more here. Ryan writes this. Uh, JJ found the key to make Palpatine's return make sense, thanks to Ryan Johnson. We learned about an ability with the Force, the Skyping between Rey and Kylo. It started with raindrops. Kylo felt them. Um, uh, when their fingers were touching, he felt them. Kylo held Han's dice for a moment. They were tangible for a moment. 
Um, Darsidious has been in this location potentially for a for the whole time. Okay, um, I am saying that he learned to sustain his own life from Pelagus. Right, he became the man behind the curtain. The effort from which an intense force projection would kill anyone but not Palpatine. He figured out how to sustain his own life and force project. Ray and Kylo's flash fights actually have tangibility. So Palpatine's fights with Yoda, Windu, etc. are all possible. He has puppeteered it all from afar so that he could not be betrayed by an apprentice. The Sith fleet could not be risked as long as there was hope and the Jedi in the galaxy. In the galaxy, so he had others like Snoke do his dirty work. This will all start to connect with the audience as soon as they realize how ancient Palpatine's Wayfinder, right, the potential thing that leads Ray to him, is. Okay, so um, cue the intense, mind-blowing music. All right, I dig this scenario here, and and again, I tried to keep this is spoiler-free. I mean, they're basing it off of some things that are out there, but this is all stuff that could be gleaned from the trailer. So that's why I'm personally okay with with sharing it. Um, I do like this idea, though, by the way. I like this idea that potentially, like, the end of Return of the Jedi was actually Palpatine from a distant location force projecting um, into, you know, in that in that particular moment. Though I think that's probably not going to be the case. He was still there physically. There's going to be another rational explanation about how he made it off the Death Star 2. I will tell you, the one thing that I really want to know is, I want to know what's up with the Sith Troopers. I'm going under the assumption they're clones. And I'm going under the assumption they're clones specifically even more so than before because of what's happening in The Mandalorian. Keying that with the line from Kylo Ren about maybe, you know, the Supreme Leader was right and we should create a clone army, this kind of thing. But I want to know what's been going on with them because, what, they've just been hanging out on Star Destroyers for the past 30 years? I mean, you'd have a bunch of overweight Sith Troopers for crying out loud. So I assume they were in some some hibernation state at that point in time that they end up being released from to go out on their murderous ways as we've seen, uh, as we've seen in the, uh, in the trailer. All right. And that wraps it up officially for the show this week. Thank you so much for checking it out. I do want to encourage you to go and pick up a copy of embark. Uh, if you're watching the video version, there'll be a little ad here that pops up at the end of the show, but Go to uh, Amazon.com. That's how you can support the show. You can pick up a copy of the ebook. You can get both ebooks for the for for Embark Book One and Two for under four dollars, which is fantastic. Paper books available, audio books available. You get discounts on the audio books uh, narrated and produced by me. If you purchase an ebook, you can gift them for a friend's for a friend. Fantastic holiday gift. Maybe you got a buddy who likes sci-fi and they read and you're like, what do I get him? I know I'll gift them a copy of this guy who does a podcast that I listen to and his science fiction space opera novel. So go to, again, Amazon.com and search for John J-O-N Justice and Embark. Uh, Book three will be out sometime early February. So now is the perfect opportunity for you to go and get caught up on this story that was inspired by the individuals that have inspired me throughout the years. George Lucas specifically, the uh, myths and tales that inspired him, and then the current content creators that I love so much. And not just within Star Wars, but Ready Player One, uh, Fast and Furious movies. There's a big element for those that have read the first book. Uh, to embark that actually was taken directly from Fast and Furious of all things and sort of doing a Fast and Furious in space and combining it with Ready Player One and Star Wars. So that's my book pit 
pitch to you. That's my Christmas gift. Please go pick up a copy of the book for you or a friend. All right. Uh, we're going to wrap things up and then talk a little bit about The Mandalorian. So I'll just say goodbye for now. Leave a comment on YouTube or drop me an email at talkshownerd at gmail.com. The Force will be with you. Always. My Nerd Road. All right, I just wanted to take a few minutes and talk about The Mandalorian. Um, and again, I don't want to repeat what I said earlier, but really loving the show. This latest episode was fantastic. I don't think that Fennec Shan, right? Let me get that right. I don't think she's dead. Okay. Um, I think they did some trickery that kind of falls in line of if you didn't really see them die, and they didn't really die. The fact that we never got a close-up on her face after she was shot by that would-be guild member I think that's an indication that she's probably going to live. The final shot of the episode was obviously a figure we hadn't seen before walking up on, um, you know, that character having been shot. A lot of people have pointed to the fact that the jingling of the boots of this character does match Boba Fett. We know that in the title description for one of the last episodes, either the one that takes place Wednesday before the Rise of Skywalker or the season finale, directed by Taika Waititi, says that the Mandalorian is going to face an unexpected foe. I think the unexpected foe is going to be Boba Fett. Uh, and I think what's going to happen is we're going to get Boba Fett in this. And my guess is that and somebody else had posted this, and I agree. I think the culmination of the Mandalorian arc for season one is going to be the client getting baby Yoda back in his possession perhaps through Boba Fett and then the Mandalorian going back to IG-88 and Cara Dune and getting a group together to go and get the child back from the client. I'm hoping that heading into next season, then we end up finding out who's actually pulling the strings and why they wanted baby Yoda in the first place. That's my expectation because also in this episode five this week, right when the feet show up in the final shot, you can hear tones that sound like the tones of communication that you would get between somebody who was talking with the Empire. Somebody mentioned, too, that it could be Cad Bane, which I think would be awesome. But again, Cad Bane's not going to have an impact for the average viewer watching The Mandalorian, just the hardcore fan like you and me. And they seem to be making a big deal that this is going to be an unexpected foe that's going to be big even for the audience. And I think that Boba Fett certainly fits that bill, especially since he's supposed to be the most feared bounty hunter in the galaxy. And so far, the Mandalorian's kind of showing himself to, to be that at the moment. So um, that's all I wanted to say about the Mandalorian for those that are listening um, or for the for, for those that stuck around that aren't overseas and or wanted to hear spoilers. Um, and again, love to hear from you. Really enjoying the show. Uh, it's making the time go by even faster when it comes to waiting for the rise of Skywalker. So I'm glad we got it. All right, I'm going to wrap things up. I got Star Wars to go watch. Thank you so much for listening and watching. And remember to um, go on by and to pick up your copy of Embark and download the Blaster app. All right, have a good one, and I'll talk to you again real soon. Bye. My Nerd World.